So, if you were not here for the first service and you need to hear an encouraging message, uh, please, they're going to have a recording of it, I'm sure, on the website. Um, take time to listen to it. If you're especially going through a time of um, where you're just maybe confused, you don't know what God is doing in your life and so forth, and you want to know, um, just have a word of encouragement, please. Um, take time to listen to um, this morning's recording. So today, uh, this afternoon, just going to talk about um, a burden I believe the Lord has in his heart for some of us during this time that we're living in. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter 27. If you will go there, while you turn there, I will pray. Father God, thank you. We thank you for your presence with us. We thank you for these songs that we've sung. Lord, I thank you for hearts that are, are here, Lord Father, lifting up voices, lifting up hands. And Lord, just in sincerity, Lord, praising you, worshiping you, Lord. Father, we thank you for that. Father, I pray, Lord, as we were saying earlier in the first service, Father, make us all worshipers. And Lord, I pray for what you have to say to us now, Lord. I ask that you give us just tender heart, Lord, tender hearts, Father. I pray for those who are here and those who will hear this later. Father, just give us hearts that are humble and able to receive, Lord. Father, I pray that you give me the grace the humility, the mercy, Lord, that I need to deliver this with, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. So Paul the Apostle is on a journey. He's been arrested. For two years, he's been in prison in a city called Caesarea. And after a period of two years, unjustly accused, he, uh, the Lord leads him by a set of circumstances now to go to Rome where his trial will continue before Caesar, the emperor. And so uh, Paul and Luke, and there's one more person, forgot his name, I think it's from Thessalonica, it was joining them in the group. They are handed over to, along with some other prisoners, they are handed over to a Roman military official, a centurion. There was a, a, an official in, a, in, in the Roman uh, military, uh, apparently an infantry man. And he leads this group of prisoners who are supposed to be delivered over to Rome, uh, the, the capital of the world at the, at the time, you could say, so they can face their, trial, uh, their trials there. So... This is where, this is the, just the context of what we're going to read here. So Paul, together with um, 275 other people, uh, and we're going to come back to that in a, in a moment, I put on this ship, together with um, other prisoners, the sailor, the owners of the ship, and the Roman soldiers, and their commanding officer. So we'll begin in verse 9. Much time had been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the fast, which is also which is another way of saying the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. So Paul warned them, "Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo, and to our own lives also." But a centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable um, to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix by winter uh, and winter there. This was, this was a harbor in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they thought they had obtained what they wanted, 
So they weighed anchors and sailed along the shores of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Nor'easter swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Caudep, we were hardly able to make, the, to make the lifeboat secure. When the men had hoisted it aboard, they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together, fearing that they would run aground on the sandbars of Sartis. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took a violent battering from the storm that next day. And that next day, they began, they began to throw the, car, the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hand. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Okay. We're going to begin our reading there. Um, let me just um, give me just a minute here to um, okay. So here's a story here where a bunch of people are going on a journey, okay? And there's a man of God on that ship. And he looks at the captain and the people in charge of this ship, and he says to them, men, I can perceive that this trip, this voyage, is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But a centurion, instead of listening to Paul, to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the advice of the owner of the ship. It's always a dangerous thing to go on a journey that God has not sent us on. So there's a dangerous thing to take trip, make project, go places, do things against the will of God. So it's a dangerous thing not to consult the Lord. One of the problems that we face in our generation is that there's this belief that I can just do what comes to my mind. If it feels good, if I feel like doing it, I can do it. If it's not illegal... I have the right to please myself, and so I can do whatever I want. And what God would often do is that he puts people in our lives. He puts men of God in our lives. He puts people who can speak the truth to us, who can call us out when we're going on a dangerous path. This is what happened here with Paul. Paul told them, I can see this is going to be disastrous for the ship, the cargo, and for our life. He said, don't do it. Don't sail there. Now, during the Mediterranean, as some of you may know about, about sailing. Uh, I don't. But I do know. I don't even know how to swim. <laughs> so, uh, and they, they, normally, in those days, People knew that there was a certain time frame where you can take these kinds of trips. It was around um, from mid-September, it was like from May, from May through the summer you could sail. But then from mid-September to like late October, it was risky. And after that, you were just crazy if you tried. Okay. So they're sort of in, in the, because it says here it was around the day, the, 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 the day of atonement. So that's like late September, early October. So they think they st we still got a window. We can make it. But Paul tells them, listen, I can see this is not going to end well. Don't do it. 
But they did not listen to Paul. What they do is say that the guy listened to the, the, the pilot and to the owner of the ship. How many times? I'll tell you one of the saddest things, two of the saddest things about being in ministry. I've been in some form or another in church work since I was a teenager. It's been a, and so one of the saddest thing I would tell you, two of the saddest, one, the saddest thing that I've seen, one is when people just reject the love of God. God loves them, wants to have a relationship with them, and they just reject it. The best thing that could, could ever happen to them, they just say no, and they walk away from God. The second saddest thing is when you see folks given good, godly advice, and they don't take it, and then consequences come later. It's been, those have been two of the saddest things that I've seen. It's when folks are spoken to in love. And they do not listen. They do not take advice, godly advice. And I'm not talking here about, you know, I'm not talking here about someone who wants to control your life or, or lord it over you or that kind of, no, I'm talking about God putting in your life people that love you and care about you and are speaking to you from Scripture. When God says to you, when, people, when God, through godly teaching or preaching like we're doing today, God says to you, do not go on that journey. That path you're on is a destructive path. Don't run around with that man. He's married. Don't be running around after that woman. She's not your wife. When folks tell you from the word of God, you and that boyfriend, you and that girlfriend of yours, keep that relationship pure. Keep hands off. Don't move in together. You're now married. It's wrong. And folks don't listen to that. They're embarking on a journey that's going to be destructive. And the saddest thing has been to see people on that kind of path that do not take the warning, and then they end up in a terrible situation later. When you're told, do not hang out with those friends who are leading you to smoke weed and to do all these sorts of things are having a bad impact on, are having a bad influence on you. They're simply saying you're on a journey that's a dangerous and a destructive one. When you're walking in pride and in arrogance, you're told, listen, there's pride in your heart. You humble yourself and try to, try to take it to heart. And so here you, you have a group of people who heard the Lord. Paul speaking likely through the, it, it must be inspired by the Holy Spirit based on what happens later. Do not go on this journey. And so I, I want to ask you today, I want to begin by asking you quite, just quite simply, listen, are you walking, are you on a journey and on a path that you've been warned against? Are you on a path of disobedience? Are you on a journey that's not going to end well? What is that thing that you're chasing or pursuing that's forbidden? What is that um, thing that has taken over your life, that idol in your life, that God has told you, get away from that thing? But you did not listen 
So here's what happened. Now, why, why, why was this? Why, why did they not listen? Okay, here, why did they not listen? I want to. I, I want to. I want to talk. I want to talk about uh, about that here for a second. Why is it that these guys didn't pay any attention to what Paul was saying? Number one, they maybe despised the messenger. After all, Paul is just a prisoner, and he's a tent maker. What do you know about sailing? Yeah, even though he had been in three shipwrecks, this is one of this is just one of three. Right? So he's like, what, what, what do you know? Who, who are you to tell us what to do? Well, you, it was just they despised the messenger. Number two, it says here, the port maybe wasn't the greatest to harbor in, suitable for, for, unsuitable for winter. It was convenience. It was inconvenient to stay there, to listen to what Paul was saying. The other thing was the majority. It says here um, in verse 12, since the harbor was unsuitable to winter and the majority decided that we should sail on. The majority. So why do people often don't listen to the word of God, to godly advice? One, they either despise the messenger, they think they just know better. Who are you to tell me what to do? We say, well, no, it's what the Bible says. Well, I don't care what the Bible says, and I don't care what you say. I'm going to do what I want. And then it's inconvenient. You know, they say, um, it's like, People that say that crime uh, doesn't pay. Well, it it pays because there are criminals. (laughs) Clearly, they are convinced that it pays. And it's inconvenient. And to to give up, to follow the law means I I can't steal that. I can't grab this. And so doing the right thing is too hard and too costly. So I'm going to do whatever is convenient for me. If I have to cheat on my taxes, I will. It's just more convenient for me to do that. It's easy. It's the easy way. And so they didn't listen to, to Paul because it was just, they, they, they didn't want, it's not a poor that they like. They didn't want to be there. Third, it was a majority vote. This is what most people do. How many times have you heard some people say, but everybody does it. Well, this thing is wrong. Well, but everybody does it. Everybody does it. Okay. You know what? I, I, and I want to speak. Can I, can I please speak to young folks here? Okay. If you're playing Sudoku, please stop. Listen to me for the next five minutes. Okay. Yeah, one time I was sitting somewhere over there, a couple of people playing Sudoku. I didn't stop them. I, I waited till the end of the sermon. I told them God loved them, and I loved them as well. Okay, so listen, let me speak to you like I would speak to my nephews, of which I have three now. Latest one born three months ago. And the older one now being a teenager. can't even wrap my head around that. So, let me say this to you. Most of your friends, the majority of the people out there in the world are doing life the wrong way. If you listen to them, you will end up in regrets. And this is what I've shared with my nephews, the ones that I've are getting older, I start to have conversations with them. You know, when I go to visit the family, um, and that's always there, their mother, my sister, that's when she's busy and she's like, you know, I can't take them to soccer and do the, Freddie, can you go drive them? And so I become like a full-time employee while I'm down there and I serve. Yeah, so on those 
rides to go drop him over here, go pick her and my niece up from gymnastic, and there's a, I, I start to have conversations with them. And here's what I say to them. If you do, if you live life like most people do, you're going to have a lot of regrets like most people do. If you live life the way most people live it, you're going to end up with a lot of regret like most people end up. The majority is often wrong. In fact, I get suspicious even in the Christian world when something suddenly becomes super popular and everybody's following it. I think it's, I was like, I, I don't know about that. I need to get, take a, more, a, a closer look at that. The majority is often wrong. And if you're living in a world where you think most people know what they're doing, and so you're going to follow them, you'll discover they don't. It's the blind leading the blind. And it does not lead to a good place. Oftentimes, and it's because oftentimes the right thing to do is harder. It takes more humility to listen. There is a cost to walking on the path of the righteous. And so for most folks, that's just not the way they want to walk. And so here's what happens here. The Bible says in, in verse 13, when a gentle wind began to blow, they thought they had obtained what they wanted. Meaning that on this journey to disobedience, at first it looked like they were right. Not to listen to Paul. It looked like they were, life was going well. And at the beginning they thought they got what they wanted. And so they kept on selling. But listen to this. That didn't last long. For a time when you are on that path to rebellion, when you're on that path, of disobedience, it will look as though you're doing okay. You're enjoying your life. You're having fun. You're in a forbidden relationship, but it looks like you're having fun. Everything is going well. You're, you're prospering at your job. There doesn't seem to be any disaster. You're having the time of your life, but in disobedience. But, and, 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 and that seems like that for a moment. And you can be in that state for a day, for a month, for years, where it seems like it's going okay. But let me tell you this, there is no way in the universe that disobedience is good for us. Eventually it will catch up with us. Eventually it will get to the point where, like it says in Numbers, where, the, where it says your sin will find you out. Meaning at some point, when you have sown and sown and sown, you'll begin to reap. And having sown, despising God, despising the, word, the voice of God, despising godly counsel, despising the commands of God, eventually there will be a harvest that you will harvest from that. The Bible says that's death. Something is going to die. And so, and that's exactly what happened here. A storm broke out. Before long, a storm broke out. Terrible storm. A northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught up in it. And it says that we could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and we were driven along. So instead of driving the ship, instead of piloting the ship, ship sailing it, they now lost control and they were being driven by a storm. Sooner or later, what happens is that we find that along that path, we're taken, we, 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 we lose control. And a storm takes over our lives. 
a storm that's beyond our control. Disorder sets in. And what happens next is people who then try their best to gain back control of a situation that's gone very, very bad. And by the way, if you're somebody who skeptical about the Bible and how valid it is as a historical book, man, you gotta study this, this Acts chapter 27. There's more things here to, to, to cross-reference and that you can, you can d- double-check. There, there's almost no account like this of, uh, of, a, of a shipwreck with this much detail in any ancient writings that we have. And it, it's very characteristic of Luke, the author of this book. He always is extremely detailed in, what, in, 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 what, in, his, in his writings. And so if you're ever someone who, who, who likes to, you're, you're there, you're, you're wondering, is this really a book that I should you know, believe and trust? Or there's a good, it's, a good place to, it's a good place to start. So what you see here is in detail, the detail of the people who are trying to take back control of a situation that they've lost and they can't. They now realize that they can't. This is too big for, for them. They try to do all kinds of things to the ship. They tie ropes around the ship to keep it from breaking. There is a lifeboat that they were towing. They hoist the, they, they, they pull it up from the water, keep, keep it in the, on board in order not to lose it. They do all kinds of things, try things with anchors and so forth to try to, to just, to, to save the ship, and it's clear that it is not working. It's clear that it's not working. And how many times do you find people in this kind of a state where as a result of disobedience, they're not caught in a storm and in a situation that's gone out of control? Um, now I'm not saying that a Christian never faces a problem, never faces an issue. The disciple got into a storm when Jesus had sent them. There's three storms in the story in the Bible. This is one of them. That exists as well, where God sends you somewhere and you get caught in a storm. But you see, the difference is, in the storm that God sends, the comfort of the Lord is in it. It says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them of them all. There is a triumph. There's a triumph that a believer has when they're going even through a difficult time. But a person who's walking in rebellion does not have that comfort of the Lord. It doesn't matter how many Jesus loves me songs they play or listen to at church or elsewhere. That's some of the ways we try to escape from that. Well, but God loves me, and he loves me unconditionally. It's true. But the reality is that in, when we're walking in that state, in that, this, in that way of disobedience, the comfort of the Lord is not there. And a mistake that some preachers and pastors do is to try to comfort people while they're walking in their, in, in their rebellion. Paul didn't do that here. He did not. Not while they were actively in their rebellion. He did not. The father of the prodigal son never sent him any help or financial aid while he was out there in the country in, uh, in, uh, rebelling and living a wild life. It's when he came back in repentance that the father took him. And you see how many times I have heard you know, people say, yes, I was in this situation. I was trying to make a decision. And I did not listen. I was told, don't marry that man. My pastors told me, my family told everybody told me. I, I didn't listen to anybody. I know cases. People have told me this. And now they're at the brink of divorce or they, they, it's falling apart. It's become, because 
was a journey where God was not consulted and when godly advice, sound biblical advice was despised. How many times I've heard that my parents told me, don't, 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 don't go there, don't get yourself into that, it's sinful. How many times do people go and their friends tell them, yeah, just, 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 just try this thing, just take a puff, they take, you know, just try it, and then soon you become addicted. And it's now a storm, a circumstance that you cannot overcome in your own strength. We can never make disobedience work out. It never ends well for anybody. I don't care what they say. You know, now let me skip that. Sorry. Let me skip that. Here it says, um, when neither sun nor star has appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hopes of being saved. They gave up all, all hopes. It came to the point where they faced the, 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 the fact that there's no way this is going to be resolved by our skills, our strength, our willpower, our courage. There's no way that this was situation a man was going to resolve for them. And sometimes, many times, God has to bring us to that place. The place where we are at our wit's end, where we don't know what to do, and where we begin to then cry out to God. I'll give you a passage from um, from Psalm Psalm one o seven. Psalm one o seven. Verse 23 to 32. I'll read it for you. Others went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke, he spoke, and stirred up a tempest and lifted high the waves. Note there, wasn't the devil. The Lord stirred up the storm. They mounted up to the heavens, went down to the depth, meaning the waves and the surf were taking them high up and down. The boat was going out and down. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and, stag and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wit's end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. At their wit's end. Sometimes God has to bring us to our wit's end so we can begin to cry out to him. And so they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for man. For let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. Now back in Acts 27 here. Like I said that they. Um, I come to the point. Where they knew they cannot save themselves. And that's the point. Where you see God come in the story. Verse 21. After the men had gone a long time without food. Because they knew they were dying. No one was thinking about what's the nicest meal I can have today. Paul stood up before them at a time when everybody had lost their courage. Paul stood up to them and said, Men, you should have listened to my advice not to sail, to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed Last night, an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve 
stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as was told to me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. So what's the path out of a storm? What's the path out of a desperate situation that arose because of disobedience and rebellion? How do we get out of that? And I want to pause here for a second and say, listen, we have been as a society, a society that does not listen to God. We have been as a generation, and Boston is, is probably the headquarter of this, a place where we believe we're smart enough, wealthy enough, we don't need God or any of his servants to tell us what to do. And there is no question in my mind when you read, when you look at everything that's happening, that we are in fact in a storm and in a place where we just are facing problems that we can't handle, that no one has a solution to. But this is where God comes in the story. And how do we get out of this? Paul tells them three or four things in this story that I want to focus on today as um, we begin to conclude here. Number one, he tells them, men, you should have listened to me. You should have taken my advice. Now, this is not a carnal, I told you so. That's not what that's about. Paul was trying to say to them, there has to come a point now when you humble yourself and realize that the voice of God is the voice you ought to listen to. There has to come a point in your life where you say, I should have listened, but I did not. There is a humility in that. You say, yeah, I, I, I didn't listen. And I'm always hardened and encouraged whenever I hear that. When people have shared that to me, like I was just saying, yeah, I did not listen to anyone. I went my own way. I know that's the beginning of deliverance for that person. But when we make excuse, we say, no, we would, uh, you know, I was doing this. It was this sort of person's fault. I, you know, and, and all. That, that doesn't work. We have to come to the point where we say, we acknowledge in this area, I did not listen. I despise advice. I despise the word of God. I did that. That's the beginning of deliverance. There has to come a point in your, in your life and in my life when we humble ourselves in that way. Maybe some of you need to go to your parents and say, I should have listened to you. God was speaking through you. You know, and um, where you tell them, you know, I may, I may have more education than you, but what you were telling me, that old-fashioned godly advice, that, that was wisdom that I despised. Some of you maybe need to go to your wife or husband and tell them, yeah, though you were telling me not to walk that route, and I did anyways. I was wrong. Now, nobody likes to do that, but humility opens doors for God to enter a situation. Whenever God is going to do something genuine, he often demands humility. And part of, part of humility is confessing, just admitting. I was wrong. I was walking in my own arrogance. I was working, walking in my own pride. And God will never despise that. God will never despise a man or a woman who's praying like that. He'll have compassion. And so Paul tells them, number one, that, that we ought to change. We ought, we ought to, to begin to acknowledge that we did not listen and that, our, and that now we are going to depend on God's voice again. We're going to depend on his voice again. We're going to begin to go seek him again. 
We're going to start paying attention to him again. And so, Paul tells them, take courage, because the Lord, the God whom I, whom I am and whom I serve, told me, none of, you, none of you are going to die. And here's the interesting thing. Paul gives them the reason why they're not going to die. Okay. But before I get there, let me mention something very important here. You know, one of the reasons why they didn't want to um, they didn't want to sail, they didn't want to stay in Crete, is because that ship was not just carrying people; it was carrying merchandise as well. There was a big cargo on that ship. That's one of the ways the owner of the ship made money. They will buy grain from one place and they were taking it to Rome to sell it there. And so they didn't want to winter in a bad harbor and then their cargo, that grain will go bad or get spoiled or lost. So they wanted quickly to get to where they were going in order to make money. Money was a big part of this whole thing. And that was very well known at the time. People would take very risky, uh, risky uh, uh, trips. That was clear. That might have been dangerous for sailors of just in the in the in the in the in the in the rush to make a profit. And then it says here. It says in verse 19 that the next day they threw the cargo overboard. At some point, the very thing that they were trying so hard to protect, this is our money, our car, this is the thing that our life is about. They threw it overboard to lighten the ship as the ship was getting tossed by, 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 the, by, the, by the waves of the storm. And you know, in the last nine months, you've seen the nations of the world throwing a lot of their cargoes overboard as we've had to shut down businesses, and I believe a lot of that effort is sincere in order to cope with the pandemic, in order to save lives. We've had to toss a lot of our economy overboard. But suddenly things that were, no, we never can shut this down. Now they were shut down. A lot of the things that people were living for, because we're realizing in a, in a weird kind of way that there are some things that are more important than others. And we shut down entertainment. We shut down a lot of things that folks were living for. This pandemic, if there's any silver lining in it, in it, it's shown that a lot of our priorities were wrong. A lot of our, even for the church, a lot of our priorities were wrong. We were maybe caught up with a lot of the wrong things as Christendom in America. A lot of our grand production and things, we had to toss a lot of that overboard to focus on the things that really mattered. But I want to say also that not just in the world, the world has reacted to the pandemic by lightening their ship and, and, and shutting down certain things in an effort to save lives. But I also hope that you and I, in our lives, we're throw, we've thrown away a lot of stuff that were non-essentials, but that were filling our lives and weighing us down. Spiritually, I mean. I hope that during this time, you and I have done some reformations to our lives, to our priorities. And that leads to my next point here. This, this is, here's what Paul said to them. This is why God was saving the ship. Here's what he said. He said, uh, last night, uh, an angel of the Lord, whom I am and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who are sailing with you. You must stand before in trial before Caesar. God was telling them this. I have a plan for you. The plan is you are going to Rome. And there 
You're going to stand before Caesar and you're going to speak about the gospel. And God says, so, meaning you're going to get there safely. And God told him, I could just save you and Luke and the other who is with you. But in my goodness and mercy, I'm going to give you the lives of those who are traveling with you. Do you see the priority? What the, the, the sailors and the owner of the ship, they were worried about grain and getting to Rome. and bring out the, that, Those were the agendas of the world. Do you see here what God's agenda was? What is God, when God shows up in the ship, the angel shows up. What, are, what is the angel and Paul talking about? They're talking about Caesar needing to hear the word of God. They're talking about Paul, mission to go and share the gospel. And please listen to me on this. Part of getting out of this storm is realigning our priorities with God's. And God's priority is this. There's a lost world out there that needs to hear about God. There are people that God loves and whom Jesus died for. They need to get saved. That is the preoccupation of heaven. They're not sweating in heaven over who won the, the U.S. election. Is it, is, is, is it President Trump? Is it Mr. Biden? And, and all this stuff. That's the stuff a lot of Christians are caught up with. As if our Savior comes in the form of a President of the United States. It's not what Paul was, what was, and the angel are caught up with. They're talking about Caesar needing to hear the word of God. And one of the things that has just been unfortunate for me to see over the past year is just how much Christians have been caught up with this thing. On one side or the other. Some people have insulted the president and they've never prayed for him once. That's what the Bible commands. First Timothy chapter 2. First of all, I command first. Pray for those in authority. You know that the first command Paul says is for the, for the church. We command you first, pray for those in authority. We've kind of changed that first, insult them. On one side or the other. And some Christians have become so partisan, they can't even bring themselves to pray for a man. Now, you know you're not doing well spiritually if you can't pray for someone. Jesus said, pray for your enemies, for those who persecute you. If you can't pray for your president or pray for the, other, the person on the other side, something's gone wrong in your heart. And one of the amazing things for me has been when people say, yeah, these people are full of hatred. They're, but then they turn around and they insult them. I'm like, wait a minute. You just, say, you just say they're full of hate. But then you just use hateful language against them. And there isn't the wisdom and enough awareness to say, no, you know what? I've become the very thing I'm despising in them. It tells you that the priorities have gotten wrong. In that ship, an angel showed up. And he wasn't talking to Paul about, oh, Paul, how are we going to make up all that money we lost by throwing the cargo overboard? Oh, you know, this is a 2020 model of this ship, and he just got wrecked. How much are we going to have? How much is the insurance going to help us out with? That's not what they're talking about. They're talking about a man hearing the gospel. Is that what your priority is and what you're caught up with? Listen, one day a lot of these things aren't going to matter anymore. It will matter what we did for God. There's a song that we sing. It's called When It's Been Said and Done. Every year I, I like to make sure that we sing that song at least once. Anna Majid, usually when she's leading, uh, brings it up. When it's all been said and done, there's just one thing that matters. Did I live my life for you? The priorities need to be rearranged. Paul, 
told them they needed to acknowledge they had been proud and they had gone astray and not listened. He told them what God was about, what was God's agenda, and why they were all going to get saved from this wreck was because God values the souls of men and he wants people to be saved. Even a man like Caesar. I don't exactly know who the emperor here was, probably Nero, who was a terrible man by all accounts. Married five times, two of those times to men. He didn't start in Massachusetts. Started a long time ago. And he killed that definitely one of the, 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 the wives and likely two of them. Those were the characters that Paul was saying, hey, you know, pray for them and honor them. <laughs> but you know, God loved even a man like that and made sure, wanted someone to go and share the gospel with him. That's God's, God's agenda. Number two, number three, here's what Paul says. On the, on the 14th night, we were still being driven in the Adriatic Sea when about midnight the, sensor, uh, the sailor sensed land approaching. And I'm going to skip over to verse 30. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailor led the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these, these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes and led the lifeboat and let it fall away. They held the lifeboat and let it fall away. Please listen, let me explain this, what's going on here. They sense that they're approaching the ground, they're approaching some ground, and they, the sailors go, okay, this big boat is not going to make it to land because there's no port there to handle a big boat like this. But we've got a lifeboat, but it's small, can only hold a few people. So they devised this scheme, okay, we're going to escape. We're going to try to see that, you know, we're going to try to scheme and try to escape using this lifeboat and abandon the ship. And he said they were pretending that they were lowering some anchor. But Paul, who's a man of discernment, looked at that and he's like, no, these guys are trying to escape. And he told the soldier, the centurion and the soldier, if these men escape, all of you are going to be lost. Now that's really odd, isn't it? This is a bizarre kind of thing. What was that about? What was Paul saying to them? He was saying this. God has spoken to us as a group. And it matters that we all obey. It matters that we all stay united. If they escape. If they escape, we're not, you're, you're all going to perish. There, is, there are things that we can enter only, things, spiritual things that we can enter only if we remain united in obedience to God as a body. What I mean by that is this. I can say, well, it doesn't matter how I'm living. There are a lot of other godly people in the church. No, the way all of us are living matters and affects us all as a body. The unity of the body is important. And the way you live, the way you're walking with the Lord, whether or not you're living in obedience or not, matters and impacts all of us. There is, a, there is a, a collective obedience that we all must walk in and, and, a collective disobe and a disobedience that we cannot tolerate. 
someone struggling with sin is one thing. They need help and, 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 and we will help them. But when a person just say, I'm going to come to church, but I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to live however I want. It does not matter. That is something we cannot as a church tolerate. Our collective obedience matters. And the disobedience of a few can hinder the work of God. That's one of those very inconvenient truths, but that is a truth that is in the word of God. Just read about Achan in Joshua chapter 7. It matters that we all obey the Lord. And you see, it's interesting. There were 276 people in this ship. That's about the size of this church family. It's important for us to obey together and to be united. I do not know one person who has been isolated, not been honoring the body of Christ, who's doing well spiritually. I do not know one. And so it's important for us to live in that obedience as a body. And I'm just going to end with this one last point here. Paul said to these men, take some food and eat. It's been 14 days. Isn't it interesting that we've been hearing a lot about 14 days these days? And he says, and he said, eat, take some food because you need it to survive. That's in verse 33. You need it in order to survive. Now I urge you in verse 33 and 34, not one of you will lose a hair, but you need to nourish yourself. And I want to say to you and to me, the nourishment is not just physical food, but it is also spiritually feeding yourself. I can eat for you, you can't eat for me. You have to feed yourself spiritually. Paul got a word from God for the whole boat, but they needed to nourish themselves individually. Please take time this year as we come to an end of the year. I'm going to be done in, in a minute here. But as this year comes to an end, I plead with you. I beg of you. Please feed yourself spiritually. I'll tell you honestly, what I was hoping to do in this second service, I just wanted to come and talk about how to read and study the Word of God and just give practical advice, things I've learned in my own life on how to do that. Because I was like, Lord, it's a new year. I want to encourage people to read your Word on their own so they can grow. But as real struggle, but I, I felt the Lord really laying this on my heart. And no, there are people who do need to hear that they're on a journey that's not a good journey and they need to come out of it. Feed yourself spiritually. Go back to the word of God because you need that strength in order to survive. The Lord brought them on shore safely as he had promised Paul. Every word that God spoke came to pass, the warning and the promise of God. God is faithful. Every word that he spoke happens exactly as he says. When he warns, it will happen as he says. When he promises, it will also happen as he says. We're wise to build our lives on the word of God. Let's pray and then uh, the end of the team. Thank you guys so much. I'm going to close us. Father, Lord, I pray for myself. Lord, I pray for my own heart. I pray for all of us here, Lord. Father, would you realign our hearts with you? Realign our hearts, Lord, with you. Father, wherever we've gone astray, where we walked in pride and, and arrogance, Father, I pray, O oh God, that you forgive us. 
bring us back, Lord, um, to a place of obedience, to a place of honoring your voice. Father, I pray that everyone here, Lord, that our hearts, Lord, will realign with your priorities. Father, and I pray, let this be a year, Lord, where we feed ourselves, where we feed on your word, where we get strength, Lord, strength to survive the storms from you. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.